before I forget it, I want you to be in prayer for, I may be seated, I'm sorry. Uh, Donald Edwards' family. Uh, Donald is, many of you know him, many of you don't, but Donald basically started youth ministry here in Iron City. And uh, my wife and Cindy Bussey and Lisa Cotton and a bunch of those people, Phil Bussey, were in his first youth group. And he's the, he's the youth pastor now, still a youth pastor. He's almost 70, and it's like 67 or so. He's still a youth pastor at um, Philadelphia Baptist Church in Smith Station, Alabama. His wife died this week, and so y'all just remember them. He's a dear old saint. Uh, he's still going hard for the Lord, you know. Uh, I'm kind of choked up. I guess I need to tell a joke or something so I can get out of this choked up stuff so I can talk. <laughs> um, I'll tell you in a minute why I'm choked up. But what is your favorite song? What? No, Andrew, I'm not talking about I'm too sexy for my shirt, which is probably yours, you know. <laughs> what is your favorite religious song? What is your favorite... Um, song we sing at church or whatever that was one of mine out of my top two that was that's maybe number one you know I think my other one is um, Agnes Day which I had to look that up I'll be honest with you I didn't know what that what that actually meant but that means Lamb of God and that was by Michael W. Smith and y'all probably know the one I'm talking about I'm not going to sing it uh, um, it starts off hallelujah you know um, but anyway we sang it a couple weeks ago I like the holy songs. I like the songs that have the words holy in them. Holy, holy, holy. We used to sing one in the Baptist hymnal called Holy, Holy, Holy. Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come and all that. And, you know, I used to, I always said God's favorite song must be the holy songs. The Revelation song is one of mine there uh, because it has the holy, holy, holy. And I get choked up about every time we sing it and I can't even sing it. Uh, when I got here today, I was talking to Andrew about asking him could I do a little joke about him and I said because uh, I'm going to talk about some of my favorite songs or whatever and I mentioned the Revelation song he said we singing that one today that was just God blessed there because we did not plan that and, and anything about it but that's why I'm kind of choked up even about him singing it because we didn't plan it at all And uh, but I just think that's those songs have to be God songs like that have to be God's favorite song because in Revelation 4 Verse 8 says there are four creatures that stand around the throne night and day. And they rest not, the Bible says, night and day, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. I thought, that's got to be God's favorite song. <laughs> if you can stand it night and day all the time, holy, holy, holy. You know, probably... Holy, 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 because they didn't have superlatives like we say them when they're writing scripture. We might say if something is wet, wetter and wettest, you know, they say holy three times. It's the holiest. He is the holiest. And so when I was looking at our scripture for this week, and that's be Psalms chapter eight, if you want to go ahead and be turning to that, uh, I thought about what, what is God trying to say to us in that Psalm chapter eight? Uh, and basically, He's telling, David realized in that psalm that God wants us to be holy. In the book of Leviticus, if you've read through the Bible recently or anything, the book of Leviticus has 
it, it's so terrible to have to read it because of all the blood and all the things. But what God was doing is when the children of Israel left Egypt, if you look at a map, they could have gone straight across to the promised land, Canaan, if you look at a map. And I'm showing you a map like you would see it. They was here in Egypt. They could have gone straight across to the promised land. But the Bible says God led them down through the wilderness because they didn't, they didn't need to go through the land of the Philistines. Now, they stayed in the wilderness because of their sin, but God led them around. But, it, what, but there was two reasons that God led them down into the wilderness. He wanted, the, he wanted his people to learn how to worship. And when you read the book of Leviticus, you find out God wanted his people to learn how to worship. They didn't know how to worship him. And so that's why we had all the laws and all the things and all, you know, all the sacrificing and all that kind of stuff they had to go through. But here's the thing God told them. The main theme to me of the book of Leviticus is this. Five different times he tells them, be holy for I am holy. Twice in, in chapter 11, once in chapter 19, and twice in chapter 20, he tells them to be holy for I'm holy. I just wondered how many of us know what holy really even means? We just had a holiday not long ago. A holy day. You say, 4th of July? See, I used to, it used to bother me that the 4th of July Memorial Day were holy days. They don't have anything to do with Jesus. Christmas and Easter do. We understand why they're holy days. But why is, why is Memorial Day or 4th of July a holy day? Holy does not necessarily mean righteous or godly. Now, we say God is holy, and he is. It doesn't necessarily mean righteous. It means set apart, set aside, different. We set aside the 4th of July to commemorate our independence. It's a holy day. It doesn't mean it's a righteous day. It's not like we would celebrate Easter, but it is a holy day. So what does it mean to be holy? Holy means set aside. It means set apart. When I look at Psalm chapter 8, I think that's what David, David came to a conclusion of what being holy was. Um, see, if we're going to reach a world we live in, if we're going to win the world, we can't be in the world. If we're ever going to win the world, we can't be in the world. We've got to be different. So stand with me, if you will, and look at Psalm chapter 8. If you can. Psalm chapter 8. David says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands and have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You may be seated. I think when David penned this, he had come to a conclusion of two things. And you may have an outline there. They've, they've got some out in the foyer or whatever. You can raise your hand. you probably get somebody to bring you one if you didn't pick up one. But I've got a little outline of filling the blanks. I don't have the 
teaching things in here. Uh, but on your, there's two things that David discovered there. Number one, David had a recognition of who God is. And secondly, out of this passage, we see that David had a, a realization of who man is. At, at the same time, he recognized who God was, but he also realized who man was. Now, let me talk to you just a little bit about what I mean by that. So let's look at David's recognition of who God was. Oh, number one, David realized that God's glory was astronomical. Now, when you say something astronomical, what do you mean by that? As President Trump used to say, it's huge, isn't it? You know, it's, it's bigger than you can describe. It's astronomical. When we say something is astronomical, we don't even know how to describe it being big. Well, astronomy, according to William McDonald, the author of Believer's Bible Commentary, he said, no branch, and I'm quoting, no branch of science proclaims God's greatness and man's insignificance better than astronomy. The simple fact that distance is reckoned in light years shows us that. Now, let me, I had to do a little, little background study on this, okay? Let me talk to you about what, what a light year is. Distance is reckoned in time. Don't even make sense to me. I'm too, too black and white kind of person. Distance is reckoned in time. A light year, light travels at 100, let me see what this says. I had it written down. 186,000 miles per second. Not miles an hour, okay? Now I think about speed, I think about miles an hour. The fastest I've ever gone on land is somewhere between 150 and 175. Because according to the internet, <laughs> that's how fast it takes for a plane to take off. And I've ridden in a plane a couple times. And a tailwind of a plane might push the plane somewhere around 600 miles an hour. So I've probably been in the air 600 miles an hour, and I've been on, on land probably 175. That's not even fast as NASCAR, is it? <laughs> now, that's, all I can, that's the only concept of speed that I have. But light travels at 186,000 miles per second. Now, if that wasn't bad enough, there's 31.5 million seconds in a year. In other words, there's 6 trillion miles a year. So in a light year, light is traveling at 6 trillion miles. 6 trillion. We can't even understand trillions, can we? Now, the closest star past our sun they say it's 4.73 light years away multiply all those numbers which you can't even tell how long that is times 4.73 see when we say God, God's glory is astronomical David said you're above the, he the heavens your glory is above the heavens it's not even comprehensible by us is it it's way out there and earth is just a speck in that chasm. Now let's look at how big earth is. How big is earth? One time I was listening to, the, to James Spann explain why the typhoons in the southern hemisphere and the hurricanes in the northern hemisphere spin in opposite directions. He said, now you got to understand it's about wind currents. He said, at the equator, the earth 
is turning at over a thousand miles per hour. And I thought, a thousand miles an hour at its fattest point? And it takes it 24 hours to make one turn? That's a big old rock, isn't it? <laughs> so when David says, when I consider all that, what is man? <laughs> We're a speck on earth. So when people tell you stuff like global warming and climate change and that we have something, they're just being arrogant. God's in control of all of that. He's in control of all of that. We're just a speck on earth. See, that's huge. That's really astronomical, isn't it? When you think about time change, this is one more. This is a, I know I don't need to keep beating this dead horse, but we have time zones in America only. Okay, I took the east. I took one city in like the eastern time zone, like Atlanta, and a city in the other side of the central time zone, which should be one hour away. And that, uh, uh, well, El Paso, Texas, okay, is at the western side of the central time zone, and Atlanta is kind of at the western side of the eastern time zone. It's fourteen hundred and sixteen miles, a thousand. 416 miles. It's about an hour and a half difference in the time that people in Atlanta see the sun coming up as people in El Paso see the sun coming up. That's how fast the earth is turning. And how big the earth is. And when you think about who we are, look how small we are. We're not going to change. We're not going to change any of that. We can't change any of it. Here's your scripture to remember for that. Genesis 8, 21, 22. Right after God, he makes this covenant with Noah. He says this. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. That's a promise from God. We're not going to change it with any kind of global warming or global cooling or any climate change. None of that's going to, God's going to, while the earth remains, that's going to be constant. It may vary a few degrees, we need not sweat that. God's in control of all of that, okay? God's glory is astronomical. Second thing I think we learned, David discovered right here, was that God's power is immeasurable. Look at verses, um, uh, look at the last, I, have to, I got it on about three different things right here. Let me look at this. Look at uh, verse number two. He said, out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. God's power is immeasurable. He establishes three strength through infant babies. King James Version calls it sucklings. Now think about a baby, an infant. What can they do other than suck and cry? They can't even roll over till they're about three months old. They are completely helpless. They can't even ask for what they want. I think sometimes we act like babies. God says, you have not because you ask not. I think all we do is lay there and complain and cry. And God said, I'd love to give you some blessings, but you won't even ask me for them. I'd love to change your life, but you won't even ask me for it. I think sometimes we just like babies. See, God's power is immeasurable. He shows his power through infant babies. Third thing he says, not only is he his glory astronomical, his, his power is immeasurable. But the third thing the Bible says, his holiness is unmistakable. Unmistakable. 
Now, I want you to look at, if you got your Bibles and you want to, you can. If you not, I'll just read it to you. But Isaiah chapter 6, I thought about this. When I think about holy, 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 I always think about this. Isaiah chapter 6, the first five verses, I want to read these for you. Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Now, that's angels, okay? Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. This is what Isaiah said. So I said, Woe is me. For I am undone. Now look, that word undone there translates destroyed. As we old country boys might say, I'm done for, okay? Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. See, Isaiah thought when he saw God's glory that he was actually seeing the face of God, and he thought he was going to die. Because the Bible says, remember what God told Moses, you can't see my face and live. Remember when he was in the cleft of the rock? Moses wanted to see God. God said, no, I'll tell you what you can do. You go get in that cleft of the rock and I'll come by and you can see my backside, but you can't see my face and live. See, God is so, he's so holy. He's so out there as away from us. We can't even look on his face and live. See, two or three, two different times this week, my D group, we've been reading through the Bible. Uh, we're in Judges, and we read the story of Gideon uh, this week. Gideon saw the angel of the Lord. The first thing Gideon did was fear for his life. When he, re when he recognized he had seen the angel of the Lord, he was fearful of his life. Manoah and his wife, that's, that's Samson's mother and dad. Same thing happened to them. When they saw the angel of the Lord and they realized it was the angel of the Lord, they both were in fear of their life. See, they knew the scripture enough that you can't see God's face and live. And here's Isaiah saying the same thing. Woe is me, for I am destroyed, he said. I'm undone. I'm done for. I've seen God. Well, the Bible tells us in the New Testament, in, uh, let's see, I wrote it down. I lost my place. Uh, in John chapter 12, verse 41, that he saw God's glory. He didn't see God himself. He just saw the glory of God. See, God's holiness is unmistakable when you get up closer to him. I'll give you one more example of that. When I, when I was coaching football, we used to go to watch Alabama practice lots of times during bowl season. And uh, Coach Tucker would get us in uh, that's Luke's dad, by the way. He was our head coach, and he had a buddy that was on Alabama staff, and he could get us in and let us watch practice. So we'd go down there, and we'd get to watch a mighty Nick Saban, you know, and all the guys practice. And the first year we went down, uh, I think, uh, was when DJ Fluker was there. Y'all remember him? Big offensive lineman. We were standing over there, and they were having a shell practice where they had shoulder pads and helmets and shorts, you know, and limited contact. So... They're doing drills, and I'm standing from here to the podium from DJ Fluker. And I just couldn't believe 
how big he was. I'm 6'2", and I don't look down. I mean, I don't look up to very many people in this congregation. There's probably 10 people in here taller than me. I'm 6'2", and I, I'm looking at him like this. And I just noticed when he walked up there and got close to me with his shorts on, his kneecap came up to right there on me. His kneecap was three inches above my kneecap. And I'm thinking, he's three and a half foot tall from the knee down. And he's not fat. He's like Goliath. And most of these guys were huge like that. So you don't really realize how big they are until you stand up beside. See, the closer you get to God, you see how awesome he really is. We don't even understand until we get close to him. Isaiah didn't even get it until he got close to him. See, God's holiness is it's astronomical. His glory is astronomical. His power is unmeasurable, and his holiness is unmistakable. There was no mistake when I stood beside D.J. Fluker that I was too small to ever play college football. And most people, if they could ever <laughs> go see that, they would they realize that too. Too small. Now, not only did David see those things, he had a recognition of who God really was. He, then he asked the question, who is man then that you are even mindful of him? Did you even pay him any attention? Who is man? But then he came to a realization. Man's kind of special when you think about it. Look at verses 5 through 9 right quick. Verse 4, he says, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? And he says, Yet you have made him a little lower than heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him the dominion over the works of your hands. See, David recognized two things here. Number one, David recognized that man was created with position. God created him with position. Think about that. So he was a little lower than the angels or he was a little lower than the gods or the heavenly beings, the ESV says. Now in Genesis chapter 1, verse 25, this is when God is creating all the things. And you know how many times where God created this and whatever, and he says, and he saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. And on day six, he created all the animals. The Bible says in God saw, verse 25, God saw that it was good. By the time you get down to verse 31, he has created man. And guess what the Bible says there? And God said it was very good. Listen. You are the crescendo of creation. When, when people tell you, you don't, your life ain't worth much, you are the crescendo of creation. God has given you a place. Above, not that we deserve it. That's my second point. You're created with position, but you're also crowned like a prince. You say, what do you mean by that, Tony? You're crowned like a prince. A prince is given authority and honor and all that simply because of who his father is. He doesn't deserve it. <laughs> he hasn't done anything. He's born as a prince simply because of who his father is, the king. You were, the Bible says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. That's why you can't ever let anybody tell you that your dog's life is worth as much as a human life. I know people that shoot you over their dog. The last cussing I got, okay, was over my dog. 
And I'm not one to stand there and take a cussing real well, okay? I'm just seriously not. But I did because I prayed when I went to see my neighbor who was mad at me about my dog. Lord, don't let me get, don't let me get in the flesh. And so I sat there and took it because my neighbor, even though I don't like him that good, his life is worth more than my dog's. Now, I love my dog. I don't treat, mistreat my dog. But human life is more valuable than animal life. And we got a warped society that thinks maybe not. You say, well, Tony, you must be, a, you must be bad to animals. No, I'm not. But I'm telling you, we got a warped view of society when we, don't think, when we think that animal life is more important. So your neighbor's more important to you than your dog. I don't care if you don't like them, okay? They're, human, they're, they're people that God created in his image and his likeness. They're your neighbor. You say, well, who is my neighbor? What, what qualifies as my neighbor? Anybody you come in contact with is your neighbor. Now, people I never see can't be considered my neighbor, I guess. People I've never been around, but if I've been around them, they're my neighbor. And I have a responsibility to treat them as I want to be treated. And we all do. God created you with position and he crowned you like a prince. Simply because of who your father is, you have honor and you have authority. You know, I say we, I thought of this this week as we were talking about how we don't, we devalue human life. Rob and I like to watch NCIS. Y'all know what that is? Anybody ever watch that show? That's Navy Crime Investigative Service or something anyway. Uh, how many of you know what I'm talking about anyway? At least you know what I'm talking about. It's been on a long time. We're backtrack watching it, and this is one of those shows we watch. Anyway, every show that comes on on that show, somebody's dead when it comes on, or somebody gets killed when it comes on. And that's how they, they're the investigative service, you know, and they figure out who killed them and all that kind of stuff. Well, the other day, they had, the, the NCIS guys had a helicopter crash on this episode. And the helicopter went down in the woods out there, you know, and the main star, Jethro Gibbs, is laying there unconscious and the wolf come and he wakes up to a wolf growling and about to eat him, you know, and he's lying there halfway in. But he wakes up and just before the wolf attacks him, you hear gunshots and the wolf runs away. And then the camera pans over to one of the other agents who's standing there with his pistol like this, shooting it up in the air. Now, I'm sorry, but I'm an old country boy from Alabama. If my partner was about to get eaten by a wolf, I'm shooting the wolf, okay? I'm not shooting up in the air. I'm shooting at him. But Hollywood's not going to show an animal get killed. I'm sitting here going, but they show a dead person or somebody gets killed every episode. But they won't show animals getting killed. So we've got a warped view of society. Now, I'm not against animals. Let me say that again. But our view of human life and people life is wrong when we, when we place animals above it. God gave us dominion and authority over animals. And he gave us responsibility. See, I think that's what's wrong with the princes today. We don't want the responsibility that goes along with the authority we're given. Think about Prince Harry. He abdicated his position, didn't he? He didn't want the authority, probably. Can't blame him. I don't know if I'd want it either. All he wanted was a hot chick from America, right? <laughs> he didn't want the authority. He likes the... He likes the good about it, but he don't like the bad. He don't like the things he has to put up with. See, God has called you. When he shows you who he is, when you recognize who God is, and then you realize who man is, 
I think David realized how, how much different there was between God and man, but he also realized that, hey, I do have some responsibility because God has created me with position. And he's, he's created me like a prince. See, we have, we have, we have authority, but we also have responsibility. Now, you say, well, Tony, what does that mean for me? What does it mean for me to be holy? See, God said, be holy for I'm holy. God is out of this world separate from us. And he's telling us to be out of this world too. Because we can't win the world if we're in the world. We can't be like the world and expect them to change. As Christians, what is your calling in life? See, right now, my, used to, my calling used to be a teacher, coach, whatever. Now it's just pappy. <laughs> and I thank God for it. The Bible says this, pure religion, James 1, 27 says, pure religion and undefiled before God is this, to visit the widows and the fatherless in their affliction and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. You know what that says to me? We need to help people and we need to be holy. We need to be helpful and we need to be holy. That's what God has called us to be. God said, be holy for I'm holy. He's above worldly. He's above the world and the cosmos. We got to be out of this world. We can't be in it. How? Two ways. Number one, you resist temptation to be like the world. And number two, embrace the invitation to be like God. I thought, let me say that again. Resist the temptation to be like the world, but embrace the, tempta the invitation, not temptation, the invitation to be like God. God says, be holy, for I am holy. We can be. You can be. Let's pray together.